he as black man would no longer live in fear. And we would no longer be brainwashed. We will no longer be influenced by the works of the devil. I'm here to uplift and edify. And anybody that's not for you is against you. Anybody that's not for you is against you. And anybody that's driving you into darkness is not for you. Don't be naive, black man. Just because they allow you to make money. Do not be naive. And Matthew 4, 8, 11 says, again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the wonders of the world, all the, the wonders of the world and his, and, 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 and his glory, all the kingdoms of the world and his glory. And the devil said to Jesus, all this I'll give to you, he said, if you fall and worship me. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan. For it is written, I will worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so don't be naive, black man, because they allow you to make money. Because the devil did the same trick to Jesus. And so you have to stand up against the devil, black man. You have to stand up against the devil, black man, and his schemes. You are the first man. You are the first man. You are the Adam meaning that you are the black man that God has created. Recognition, salvation, substance, we put our hope in Christ. Recognition, salvation, substance, we put our hope in Christ. Truth for knowledge, truth for knowledge, truth for knowledge. Recognition, Salvation, substance, we put our hope in Christ. Recognition, salvation, substance, we put our hope in Christ. Truth for knowledge, truth for knowledge. The first man. God created man in his own image and likeness. So God created you in his image and likeness. So we are somebody. You are somebody. Because God created you in his image and likeness. And you're the first black man. So let me make myself clear. He didn't make a nigga in his image and likeness. He created man in his image and likeness. He didn't create what? A nigga in his image and likeness. He created a man in his image and likeness. So stop using the word towards each other. Stop using the word nigga towards each other. Be proud of who you are, black man. God created us. Black man, God did not create us to be nothing. He didn't create us to be nothing. We are something to God. We are somebody to God. We not we might not be somebody in, in in this world to these people, but we're somebody to God. They might not treat us right in this world, but God's going to treat us right because we are the first man. God created you not for nothing. 
We are something to God. We are not created to be slaves. We're not created to be in chains. We're not created to be whipped. We are not created to be killed. God gave us dominion on this earth. Genesis 1.28. God gave us what? Dominion on this earth. He gave us what? Dominion. So this earth is ours. Anyone who puts a stumbling block in your way, it's not from God. Anybody who puts a stumbling block in your way for you to fall is a sinful individual. So they can make themselves look good. Because you just don't know. That's a simple individual. If they did it to you, they would do it to the Lord. If they did it to you, because God cares about you and God created you. Anyone who treats you unkindly with no love does not come from God. So listen, listen to this black man. If they treat you unkindly because of the color of your skin without, without, without showing you love, they didn't come from God, black man, because God is love. God is love. So, black man, we are not murderers. We're not drug dealers. We're not drug addicts. We do not steal. We're not made to do evil things. We're not made to influence each other with evil. That's not who we are. We have wisdom. We are creators. We are not made to do evil things. We would no longer be against each other here in America or anywhere else. We would no longer be against each other. We would uplift and edify each other because we are are, are, are children of God. We are husbands. We are fathers. And it's time for us to start acting like it. Black man, don't be naive. Don't be deceived. You have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. Are you going to continue to let the devil steal your identity? Are you going to continue to let the devil steal your identity? We're not fools. We're not idiots. We're smart and we're bright and we're righteous. We're good people. Don't let no one deceive you and tell you that you're not. You're not worthy to God because you are worthy to God. Don't let the devil steal your identity. First Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are a chosen people. God says you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's special possession that you may, that you, that you may declare the praises of him who calls you out of darkness and into the wonderful light. Because once we was in darkness, we, were, we once was sinful. No, no more, no more, because that's not who we are. That's not who we are. 
was we were not a people, but now we are a people of God. We were not a people because we have sinned and fallen short. But that's not us anymore. Once we hadn't received no mercy, but now we have received mercy through Jesus Christ. So God loves us. He is patient with us. Not wanting, not waiting for anyone to perish, but come to what? Repentance. I don't know what to think that you're, I don't want you to think that you're not worthy to God because of the color of your skin. I don't want you to think that based on the false images that you see. Yes, based on the false images that you see. We see images like black, like the black man is not in the Bible. Like the Bible has nothing to do with the black man. Like God has nothing to do with the black man. This is not true. In Exodus 24, you should not make yourself any image in the form of anything in the heavens above or the earth beneath or in the waters below. So what they have done is not right in the eyes of God. What they have done is not right in the eyes of God to try to make you feel like you're not worthy, to make you feel like you below anybody, you 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 are below, you're just below everything in the earth. You're the below, you below. And that's not right in the eyes of God. Don't let nobody steal your identity, black man. No more. It's time for you to stand against the devil and his schemes, black man. I want you to know that you are worthy. And you are in the Bible. Everything starts with you, black man. Everything starts with us. We got to make a difference. Live in righteousness. Let them do what they do. That's what they do. But us, we have to live in righteousness. We forgive and we love one another. If they don't want to do that because they want to have control, let them do the evil thing. God is for us, not against us. And God got that handled. Black man's identity theft. In the heart of ancient scripture, we find our journey's Genesis. The book of Genesis, aptly named, begins with a narrative that has captured human imagination for millennia. At the core of this story is the Garden of Eden, a paradise where the first humans, Adam and Eve, lived in harmony with all creation. The biblical account doesn't pinpoint a geographical location for Eden, but several theories propose that this paradise might have been in Africa. One such theory draws upon the geological evidence suggesting that the Pishon, Gihon, Tigris, and Euphrates rivers described in Genesis 2.10, 14 could be associated with regions in or near Africa. The Gihon, in particular, is described as encircling the entire land of Cush, which many scholars identify as Ethiopia, or Sudan in Africa. These geographical correspondences suggest that humanity's birthplace might have been in Africa. Following the timeline of Genesis, after the flood, humanity was reborn through Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, 
Ham is a figure of great significance here. In Genesis 10, he's described as the progenitor of many nations, including the Cushites, Egyptians, and Canaanites. These groups, widely believed to represent African populations, point towards the lineage of a substantial part of humanity originating from Africa. Ham's descendants are said to have spread throughout Africa, making Ham's lineage a foundation stone for many African nations. Even today, these nations carry the echoes of their past, resonating through stories passed down through generations. The biblical narratives are threads that highlight the prominent roles of Africa's oldest civilizations, notably Egypt and Ethiopia. Known for their rich history, these African powerhouses serve as backdrops for many pivotal moments and figures in biblical texts. Egypt, the land of the pharaohs, is mentioned numerous times in the Bible, often as a place of refuge and revelation. The book of Genesis narrates the story of Joseph, who was sold into slavery, rose to power in Egypt, and eventually saved his family from famine. The influence of Egypt permeates the foundational stories of Judaism and Christianity. A young Jesus was taken to Egypt by his parents, Mary and Joseph, to escape King Herod's massacre of infants, making Egypt a sanctuary in the most dire of circumstances. Similarly, Ethiopia holds a substantial place in the biblical narrative. The Ethiopian eunuch, mentioned in Acts 8.26.40, is a particularly poignant figure. Baptized by Philip the Evangelist, this individual is considered by many historians to be the first African convert to Christianity marking the spread of the faith into the African continent. Furthermore, Ethiopia's Queen of Sheba, mentioned in Kings 10, 1, 13 and Chronicles 9, 1, 12, visited King Solomon, a meeting that has been immortalized in Ethiopian tradition, notably in the Kebra Nagast. Moses, a central figure in Judaism, Christianity and Islam, was married to an Ethiopian woman, according to Numbers 12, 1, this demonstrates yet another link between the religious narratives and the African continent. As we delve deeper into the Africa-rooted narratives of the Bible, we find that many key biblical figures have deep connections to the continent. Moses, one of the most significant figures in the Old Testament, was born and raised in Egypt. According to the book of Exodus, Moses was adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter and grew up in the Egyptian royal court. In the later part of his life, Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt in a mass exodus, further strengthening the links between the Jewish narrative and Africa. Joseph, another pivotal figure, also had deep connections to Egypt. After being sold into slavery by his brothers, Joseph eventually rose to become the governor of Egypt, as told in Genesis 41. His journey is a narrative arc that places Egypt at the center of his personal transformation and the survival of his family during a devastating famine. King David, a legendary figure in biblical tradition, is known for his military conquests and his rule over a unified kingdom of Israel and Judah. However, what might be less known is that David's great-grandmother Ruth was a Moabite, an ancient nation located in modern-day Jordan, bordering Egypt and often culturally and politically aligned with it. This connection, though indirect, nonetheless ties King David to the larger African narrative. Perhaps one of the most intriguing narratives connecting Africa to biblical accounts is the story of the Queen of Sheba who visited King Solomon in Jerusalem as recounted in Kings 10, 1, 13 and Chronicles 9, 1, 12. While the location of Sheba is debated, many traditions place it in modern-day Ethiopia or Yemen. In Ethiopian tradition, 
the queen of Sheba's son by Solomon, Menelik brought the Ark of the Covenant to Ethiopia, where it resides to this day according to local belief. These genealogical ties and geographical connections of major biblical figures further underline the substantial link between biblical narratives and the African continent. The Theory of Hidden African Identity in the Bible This theory, suggested by theologians and scholars alike, proposes that many biblical figures and nations may have been of African origin, their identities obscured or changed over time due to various socio-political reasons. One such scholar, Dr. Kane Hope Felder, in his work Troubling Biblical Waters, Race, Class, and Family, explores the African presence in the Bible, emphasizing the African identity of biblical figures and nations. Felder and others argue that Eurocentric interpretations of the Bible have overlooked or diminished the significant African presence in these narratives. An example of this hidden African identity can be found in the biblical figure of Zipporah, Moses' wife. Zipporah was a Midianite, and the Midianites are believed to have originated from Cush, which, according to Genesis 10, 6, 7, was located in Africa. Another instance is the identification of Cushites in the Bible, a term that traditionally refers to individuals from the land of Cush, often associated with regions in Africa south of Egypt. Moreover, we delve into the concept of Ham, the son of Noah, who is traditionally associated with the origin of African peoples. According to Genesis 10, 6, the sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. Mizraim is often identified with ancient Egypt, and Cush is traditionally associated with areas in Africa south of Egypt, including Sudan and Ethiopia. This lineage makes a compelling case for the deep-rooted connections between Africa and the biblical narrative. The notion of Africa's identity in the Bible extends even to biblical prophecy. Africa has played a significant role in fulfilling various biblical prophecies, further linking the continent to the biblical narrative. For instance, the prophecy in Genesis 15:13, 14, which predicted the Israelites' enslavement and eventual liberation, took place in Egypt, an African nation. Additionally, prophecies in the books of Ezekiel and Daniel reference African locations and rulers intertwining Africa's history with prophetic narratives, by uncovering the hidden African identities within the Bible, we realize that the roots of biblical history may be more intertwined with Africa than traditionally thought, an aspect often overlooked but undoubtedly significant. Prophecies in the Bible have predicted crucial events concerning African nations, underscoring their spiritual and historical significance. Let's take a closer look at the nations of Egypt and Ethiopia in biblical prophecy. In the book of Isaiah, these two African nations are frequently mentioned. Isaiah was a prophet in the 8th century BC kingdom of Judah who is said to have prophesied about the rise and fall of many nations. Among his prophecies, Egypt and Ethiopia stand out prominently, symbolizing the spiritual significance of Africa in these biblical narratives. For instance, in Isaiah 19.19, 20, the prophet speaks of a future time when an altar to the Lord will be in the heart of Egypt and a monument to the Lord at its border. This prophecy seems to highlight a spiritual awakening or transformation within Egypt. Further in Isaiah 20, the prophet predicts a time when Egyptians and Ethiopians will be led away captive, signifying the geopolitical changes to occur in these regions. Yet these prophecies about Egypt and Ethiopia aren't solely focused on doom and destruction. For example, Isaiah 18. 1. 7 contains a prophecy about Ethiopia, where God acknowledges the gifts that the Ethiopians bring to him. 
in Isaiah 1924-25. A prophecy about Egypt's future redemption reads, In that day Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt my people, and Assyria the work of my hands, and Israel my inheritance. These instances of prophecy regarding Africa, specifically Egypt and Ethiopia, highlight the spiritual significance and intricate role these regions have in the grand biblical narrative. They serve as a testament to Africa's central role in biblical history and prophecy, further supporting the idea of a deep-rooted connection between Africa and the Bible. In our ongoing exploration of Africa's pivotal role in the Bible, let's turn our attention to specific biblical figures who have clear and direct connections with the African continent. Their stories not only reinforce Africa's presence in biblical narratives, but also underline the contributions these individuals made to the Christian faith. Firstly, let's discuss Simon of Cyrene. Cyrene was an ancient city located in modern-day Libya, North Africa. The city was a significant hub in the Hellenistic world, boasting a large and vibrant Jewish community. Simon enters the New Testament narrative in a brief yet unforgettable moment. As recounted in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew 27, 32, Mark 15, 21, and Luke 23, 26, Simon was the man compelled by the Romans to carry the cross of Jesus as he was led to his crucifixion. Despite the brevity of his appearance, Simon's act has become emblematic of Christian discipleship and bearing one's cross, making him a noteworthy figure within Christian tradition. Another compelling character from the African continent is the Ethiopian eunuch, introduced in Acts 8.26.40. This man, a high-ranking court official under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, traveled to Jerusalem to worship. On his return journey, he encountered Philip the Evangelist, who explained the prophecies of Isaiah to him, leading to his baptism and conversion to Christianity. His story is significant because it marks one of the first recorded instances of Christianity spreading beyond the Jewish community and reaching the African continent. As we continue to uncover Africa's profound imprint on the biblical narrative, it's imperative that we delve into the realm of African wisdom and philosophy and how it may have shaped biblical literature. The Old Testament, particularly books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, offers an insightful arena for this exploration. African wisdom, deeply ingrained in the continent's traditions and culture, has long been a reservoir of knowledge, guiding societal norms, values, and behaviors. It's expressed in various forms, including oral literature, proverbs, folk tales, and philosophical teachings. Some scholars propose that these traditions could have influenced the wisdom literature found in the Bible. The book of Proverbs, for instance, is a collection of wisdom sayings that instruct readers on how to live righteously, prudently, and in fear of God. While many of these proverbs are attributed to King Solomon, it's worth noting that Solomon was significantly influenced by his meeting with the Queen of Sheba, a powerful figure from Africa. Moreover, the wisdom tradition of using proverbs to convey deep truths is prevalent in many African cultures, suggesting a potential connection. Ecclesiastes, another wisdom book, is known for its profound philosophical reflections on the meaning of life, the nature of human existence, and the quest for understanding. Some of the philosophical notions echoed in Ecclesiastes, such as the transient nature of earthly pursuits and the importance of recognizing a higher divine purpose 
are reminiscent of teachings found in African wisdom traditions. African origins of humanity wouldn't be complete without exploring the Book of Enoch. This ancient Jewish religious text, attributed to Enoch, the great-grandfather of Noah, reveals a unique perspective on the antediluvian world, fallen angels, and prophecy. Enoch's Ethiopian Association makes it compelling to posit that these remarkable encounters and teachings unfolded in the African landscape. Enoch's narrative is an enthralling tapestry woven with mystical journeys and meetings with divine beings. According to the text, Enoch is taken to the heavens, a trip during which he receives profound insights about the cosmos, the secrets of creation, and divine judgments. This venture into heavenly realms and the subsequent imparting of wisdom is a pivotal event, one that scholars believe holds traces of African spiritual traditions, particularly those emphasizing direct encounters with the divine. In addition, the Book of Enoch introduces the concept of the Watchers, or fallen angels, who descended upon the earth and intermingled with humanity, teaching them various arts, sciences, and divine secrets. Some theorize that this descent of heavenly beings and the resulting spread of knowledge might symbolize ancient interactions between advanced civilizations and indigenous African tribes. Enoch's prophecies, especially those concerning judgment and divine justice, bear an uncanny resemblance to some African tribal prophecies. The emphasis on ethical conduct, consequences for transgressions, and a system of cosmic justice aligns with several African wisdom traditions. Through the lens of the Book of Enoch, we're invited to view Africa as a setting for heavenly revelations, divine wisdom, and mystical experiences, marking it as a significant cornerstone in the construction of biblical narratives. While the emerald tablets aren't traditionally part of the biblical canon, they are vital sources that illuminate the profound intellectual and spiritual heritage of Africa, specifically ancient Egypt. The emerald tablets are a fascinating repository of cryptic verses, laden with allegories and profound metaphysical insights. These tablets, purportedly written by Thoth, encapsulate a comprehensive worldview and understanding of reality from an ancient perspective. They delve into profound topics such as the nature of existence, the structure of the cosmos, principles of harmony and balance, laws of cause and effect, and the exploration of one's divine nature. The knowledge encoded within the Emerald Tablets aligns harmoniously with various wisdom traditions originating from Africa. From the principle of Maat, the ancient Egyptian concept embodying truth, balance, order, and harmony, to the Hermetic axiom, as above, so below, hinting at a harmonious interconnection between the cosmos and life on Earth, these teachings bear the unmistakable imprint of African philosophical thought. The Emerald Tablets also mention the lost civilization of Atlantis and its downfall, reminding humanity of the perils of disharmony and the abuse of knowledge. These narratives, although shrouded in myth and legend, have parallels in African oral traditions, which carry warnings about societal imbalance and disunity. Continuing our journey through the rich tapestry of African-rooted knowledge, we turn our attention to the Apocrypha, a collection of biblical texts not traditionally included in the standard canon. These ancient texts, while often overlooked, reveal profound links to the African continent and its influence on early biblical literature. The Apocrypha, literally meaning hidden in Greek, consists of numerous books, letters, and wisdom literature that were part of the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. The Septuagint was widely used in Africa, 
especially in regions such as Alexandria, which was a vibrant hub of intellectual and spiritual exchange during the Hellenistic period. Within the Apocrypha, the wisdom of Syrac, also known as Ecclesiasticus, stands out due to its clear resonances with African wisdom traditions. Composed by Jesus ben Sirach in the 2nd century BCE, this remarkable work offers a vast compendium of moral teachings, ethical guidelines, and sage advice. The themes addressed in the wisdom of Syrac echo the core values commonly found in African wisdom traditions. It emphasizes reverence for ancestors, recognizing their wisdom and teachings as vital spiritual assets to guide and enrich the lives of subsequent generations. This strong connection to ancestral heritage is a fundamental aspect of many African cultures. The wisdom of Sirach also champions the importance of community solidarity, advising respect for the elders, maintaining harmonious relationships, and valuing collective well-being over individual gain. This societal view aligns closely with the African concept of Ubuntu, the belief in a universal bond of sharing that connects all humanity. Additionally, the wisdom of Syrac places a great deal of emphasis on natural harmony and respect for the earth, principles that are deeply embedded in African spirituality and worldviews. It encourages living in alignment with the natural world, a concept mirrored in African ecological philosophies that view humanity and nature as inseparable entities of a holistic existence. Africa's spiritual heritage takes us next to the Nag Hammadi Library, a trove of early Christian and Gnostic texts unearthed in Egypt. These scriptures, hidden away for centuries, bring to light Africa's pivotal role in early Christian thought and the development of Christian mysticism. The Nag Hammadi Library was discovered in 1945 near the town of Nag Hammadi in Upper Egypt. The discovery consisted of 13 codices containing 52 texts, a treasure chest of knowledge that expanded our understanding of early Christianity and Gnosticism. These writings, steeped in the African milieu of their origin, provide an invaluable window into the spiritual landscape of the era and location. Among these texts are the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Philip, both of which echo African thought and mysticism. The Gospel of Thomas, a collection of 114 sayings of Jesus, diverges from the traditional narrative structure of the canonical Gospels and instead emphasizes direct wisdom teachings, a method reminiscent of African oral traditions. Its emphasis on inner knowing and spiritual self-discovery aligns closely with African wisdom traditions' focus on personal experiential knowledge. The Gospel of Philip, another text within the Nag Hammadi Library, also exhibits themes and perspectives that resonate with African spirituality. Its focus on spiritual symbolism, interpretation of religious rituals, and the notion of divine union present an alternative, more mystically inclined Christianity that bears similarities to African spiritual philosophies. By shedding light on these texts from the Nag Hammadi Library, we underscore Africa's substantial influence on early Christian and Gnostic traditions. This connection can provide us with an enriched understanding of the possible mutual influences and shared wisdom traditions between Africa and the ancient Near East. African proverbs are a profound source of wisdom, passed down from generation to generation, encapsulating the philosophical, moral, and social ethos of various African cultures. These bite-sized pieces of wisdom often contain timeless truths, practical advice, and moral lessons that transcend geographical and cultural boundaries. 
biblical wisdom literature, including the books of Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes, likewise present a wealth of wisdom teachings in a similar format. Their emphasis on moral integrity, right living, and the pursuit of wisdom parallel the themes often seen in African Proverbs. Take, for instance, the book of Proverbs. Many of its Proverbs, like Pride Goes Before Destruction, A Haughty Spirit Before a Fall, Proverbs 16.18, echo the essence of African Proverbs like the Swahili proverb, Pride is the mother of all mistakes. Such parallels suggest an underlying connection between these wisdom traditions. The book of Job, with its emphasis on human suffering and divine justice, similarly resonates with the philosophical depth found in African Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, with its contemplative tone, mirrors the reflective nature of many African Proverbs. Could these similarities indicate that wisdom traditions moved and evolved between Africa and the ancient Near East? Legends connected to Africa and Ethiopia in particular. The legend of the Ark of the Covenant. According to the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, the Ark, the sacred chest described in the book of Exodus as containing the Ten Commandments, is not lost, but has been carefully guarded in a chapel in the small town of Aksum for centuries. The Ark of the Covenant, as per biblical account, is a gold-covered wooden chest described in the book of Exodus as containing the two stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. It is said to have been built at the command of God, following Moses' exodus from Egypt and his subsequent receipt of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. However, following the destruction of Solomon's temple in Jerusalem, the fate of the Ark became a subject of intrigue, mystery, and speculation. Its final resting place has been proposed to be everywhere from Egypt and Babylon to Ireland and even the United States. Yet the Ethiopian Orthodox Church has long asserted that the Ark was brought to Ethiopia by Menelik Therun, the son of King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, and has remained there ever since. This claim, albeit difficult to verify due to the extreme secrecy surrounding the Ark, has remained a central tenet of Ethiopian Orthodox belief and has significantly influenced Ethiopia's national and religious identity. This brings us to the Aksum Obelisk, also known as the Obelisk of Aksum. This for-the-century monument, a stunning example of Aksumite architecture, stands as a silent testament to Ethiopia's ancient and rich history. It reaches a height of over 24 meters and is exquisitely carved, reflecting the precision and skill of its makers. The obelisk is also considered one of the most significant ancient monuments in sub-Saharan Africa, further emphasizing Ethiopia's historical grandeur and cultural significance. The connection between the Ark and the Aksum obelisk provides a fascinating convergence of myth, history, and faith. While the truth of the Ark's current whereabouts might forever be shrouded in mystery and protected by faith, the presence of the Aksum obelisk and its testament to Ethiopia's ancient history remains undeniably real and tangible. The biblical accounts from Genesis to the prophetic texts, African wisdom in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and the enigmatic passages from the Book of Enoch, the Emerald Tablets, and the Apocrypha. Each source offers glimpses into the profound significance of Africa in our shared spiritual heritage. The narratives we've explored suggest that Africa was not just a cradle of humanity in the physical sense, but also a pivotal center of spiritual, philosophical, and wisdom traditions that have reverberated through the ages.